I'm Grant. Uh, before we get started, make sure you check out our old episodes on the ACAST website. That's ACAST.com. Uh, we've got two seasons worth of content that we're pretty proud of. So if we like it, we hope that you like it too. Today's episode is part of the series, The ARAV Club. We're going to talk about It's a Sin, the UK series written and created by Russell T Davies of Doctor Who and Queerest Folk fame. So, quick synopsis. It's a Sin is a story of five friends, four of whom are gay men, uh, and one of whom is a straight woman, living together in London during the 1980s when HIV was a burgeoning epidemic in the city and not many people knew about it. As always, we're going to talk about the issues around the series rather than reviewer per se, but if you are interested in a review, it seems that for a lot of people, you either love it or you hate it. My personal opinion, I kind of hated it, but that's not what we're here to talk about. My more nuanced view, I think, I thought about this, is that if you are interested, I would suggest you watch the first three episodes. It's only going to take you about an hour and a half, which is about the length of a movie. If you feel like you want to continue, continue, but I think that the first three episodes will probably give you a perspective I haven't normally seen, whereas I feel like the last two the story was pretty similar to other things I've already seen. See, but by the time you get to three or five episodes, which is, you know, there are only five, you might as well just kind of finish the whole thing. Well, yeah, but I'm just saying that if you are interested, I think there is some value to the first three episodes. Yeah. So if you are interested and you don't want to be spoiled, then maybe go watch at least the first three episodes and then come back. So pause this, don't delete it, (laughs) and come back and listen to it after you've watched the first three episodes. Yeah. So why don't we uh, why don't we dive into talking about the big you know uh, rainbow elephant in the room, which is HIV. Yes, in the series. So here's the spoilers. So if you haven't paused and come back, you haven't followed my instructions very well. <laughs> um, in the series, two out of five the five main characters do contract contract HIV, mm. and there are a number of secondary characters who also contract HIV and get get a reasonable amount of screen time to their story. One of the issues I had with the first episode, which I think I I mentioned a while ago, because we watched the first episode and there was a long break before we watched the other one. So I think in another podcast, I did talk about the fact that in the first episode, I felt like a man in a committed relationship just caught HIV with no explanation. I didn't like that. And you said at the time, maybe they'll explain it later. They never did. No, they did not. Um, So it kind of had this sort of unsaid implication that this person or their partner was unfaithful because they had been together for a length of time that they wouldn't have been able to, from my understanding, catch HIV before they were together Mm. because HIV just wasn't really around. Yeah, and there certainly was no indication that they were perhaps in an open relationship or any sort of variation that isn't your typical heteronormative monogamous kind of relationship. So, yeah, so the fact that there was some level of assumed, yeah. Promiscuity. Promiscuity with no explanation. I didn't like that. And I think my, my issue with the series as a whole is that it, it, used fear um, and sensationalism as a core kind of uh, tenet for the entire series around HIV. Now, part of the issue there is, of course, they were trying to represent the hysteria around that time. And, you know, there are, um, as 
as is the nature of these times, there are a lot of parallels to COVID about some, you know, some new burgeoning infection that people don't understand, that they're trying to reason away. There's a whole section where one of the characters tries to explain why HIV can't possibly be a thing, uh, because at one point it gets described as being a gay cancer, and the character's like, well, you can't catch a cancer, therefore it can't be real. And it's just this fascinating exercise in deep denial and hubris. <laughs> yeah, so interestingly, here's some trivia for you. Um, that, I guess, would you call it a monologue or a Sequence? Montage? I was trying to figure out what the word of it was. It wasn't a montage. The montage is wordless images. This was yeah, a I person guess. going through different scenes saying random stuff. Yeah. So that was apparently based on Russell T. Davis' own denial. So basically that was him representing the things he had felt and said at that point in the pandemic. Yeah. And look... It is interesting. I can't necessarily blame the character for going through that process because to have something that was so specific to a specific community and to be so deadly with no sign of a, of a cure at all, I think it would be reasonable to at least, you know, question these sorts of things. And particularly in a, you know, in the queer community where there's a lot of feelings of isolation, uh, low self-esteem... To feel like biology is attacking you for being gay, that would be a really hard thing to handle. Now, obviously, that's a massive oversimplification of what HIV is, and it ignores the fact that women can, of course, also contract HIV, that it is not exclusively a a gay man's disease. You know, I, 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 I I saw the logic in it, but was fascinated more by how creative the denial was. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about that point of history is... There was probably an element of racism because there was African places where women, men, and children were all dying. Mm. But the developed world didn't seem to care. Yes. And in the developed world, it was affecting gay men predominantly. Mm. I imagine it would have affected some women just because there would be some, I guess, closeted men who would bring it back due to infidelity. Also, let's not forget IV drug users are likely to contract HIV as well, and that, that is, is very not true. a sexuality-specific thing. Yeah. So there are there are other modes of transport, I guess. Not yeah. that that's the best term for it, but yeah. Yeah, like, the, the series didn't really touch on that, um, and it would have been, I imagine, a minority of people. They weren't ignoring female victims, and they do actually talk about the African victims later in the series. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not accusing the show of like ignoring female victims. It just was predominantly affecting, um, gay men. So I've been listening to an audio book called The Velvet Rage, which is by Dr. Alan Downs, who is a gay psychologist, uh, and is mainly about, uh, gay men in this day and age. But the epilogue is his own story, which includes becoming HIV positive. And one of the things he talks about is... So he had a cousin who was lesbian. So they kind of were very close because the family were dismissive of both of them because of their sexuality. And his cousin's girlfriend rang him one day and said that she had died. And his first thought was, how did she die? She's a lesbian. She's not meant to have AIDS. And she died of diabetes. Mm. But there was sort of this mentality that gay men would just disappear. So he talks about this, and um, It's a Sin also kind of does this, where he said that if someone, you stop seeing someone, you didn't even ask. 
you didn't ask where they'd gone because you kind of knew where they'd gone. And in It's a Sin, maybe it was because it, it, it was a bit English, they talked about boys going home. Like the code was, he's gone home. Mm. Meaning he's left London because he, had eight, he has HIV. Maybe his family have taken him back. Um, which is something I've talked about in a previous podcast about the fact that sometimes families who threw their sons out for being gay would then suddenly claim their son at the end of their life. And there's actually a scene, in, it's a scene in a church where basically the boyfriend has been barred from attending the funeral. Like it's all about the family. And they talk about the fact that when he came out, the family threw him out. But now that he had died, they wouldn't let the boyfriend be mentioned. Like they're, t- they're talking about, you know, he's blah, blah's son and he's blah, blah's uncle. And there's gay guys stand at the back and say he was also, you know, the life partner of, I think it was Nick, Nick yeah. for 10 years. Um, but it was kind of this erasure of that relationship, which seemed to be pretty common from what I've heard. Yeah, there was also the bit where uh, one of the characters, one of the side characters uh, contracts HIV and um, is taken home by his parents back to Scotland. Mm-hmm. But it, it's very much this sort of blame of London and blame of the lifestyle from the father's perspective and the blame of the friends for allowing it to happen. So there's this real ignorance about the fact that this is a disease and that there really isn't anyone to blame per se. I mean, obviously safe sex is still important. At the same time, when society kind of forces queer people into the shadows... They're kind of like, well, we created this, but we don't like the problems that we created, so now we're going to try and hide it again. And that was a lot about it, so they they hid him away, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that was meant to parallel, uh, again, another another character from a different episode who was actually locked away um, in, like, a ward of the hospital. And I mean literally, like, the doors bolted. There was two characters who were locked away in wards. Yeah. One of them died there, um, and one of them thankfully got some legal help. Yeah. And I think, I mean, part of my issue with It's a Sin is that I think it tried to be two different things and achieved neither of them. Because it tried to be an uh, intimate personal story about, you know, a group of friends ex- trying to deal with the HIV epidemic. And was also trying to make a comment on the large societal implications of HIV and the prejudice around it and the ignorance around it and the denial. And it just kind of over blue both and and in, inherently kind of took away the impact one from the other. So yeah, there, there was this scene where one of the, um, the more likable characters, probably maybe the only likable character, um, is locked away in a hospital after being diagnosed with HIV. And he's the one who gets rescued by uh, a lawyer, you know, this lawyer who, who magically appears and stands up and tries to correct the health system and all this really big bombastic stuff. And you're like, this is ridiculous. Like, Well, I don't know. It- it might have happened. Mm. Like, so basically, from my research, I've discovered that pretty much all the characters are fictional, mm-hmm. except one of them is based on a real person. Mm-hmm. Do you want to guess which one? Is it Colin? No. Oh, it's sad. Jill. Oh, is it Jill? Okay. Yes. So Jill is based on a real person, and her name is Jill Nailda. So Jill Nailda. I'm hoping I pronounce one of those <laughs> times correctly. Um, was actually a friend of Russell T Davies. I think they actually lived together in a place called the Pink Palace, like Jill does in the she show. Mm. Um, and she actually appeared as Jill's mother. All right. In the series, there you go. Uh, so she was a um, AIDS activist in the 1980s. Yeah. So the fact that Jill in the show was able to get access 
to a lawyer who cared enough to, you know, force the hospital to let him out could have possibly been based on true things that happened. And I, Even though Colin himself was not based on a true character. And it's, it, look, if it really happened, that's great. But I think inherently the problem with the series is that it... I think it would have benefited from being longer. Like, I, like, like it, it needed more time to explore the stories. But every, every episode traverses a, at minimum of a year, if mm-hmm. not two to four years. And you just... I just didn't care for any of the characters. And I think that was kind of the problem. Except with for... Except for Colin, yes. yes. But that's also because he was naturally likable. Whereas unlikable characters can become likable given enough time. Yeah. Right? As we've seen on many, 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 many shows. Yeah, given enough time, unlikable characters can become likable. But in this series, again, I feel like everything was really shallow. And while that's a creative criticism, what concerns me more about it from an issues point of view is the way that they depicted HIV. Mm-hmm. So back to the my sort of my earlier point, which is that part of I think the intent of It's a Sin was to reflect the the fear and hysteria around HIV in, when it was first started. And look, there's still fear and hysteria now. Don't get me wrong, but it's yeah. not nearly as prominent as it used to be. But I guess the problem I have with it is that as much as it was trying to reflect it, I worry that it didn't balance it out with reason because a lot of the the treatments for HIV only got good recently. Like, there have been treatments since the 90s mm-hmm. um, that have certainly suppressed HIV. They came with some nasty side effects and some other issues. But the treatment these days is actually pretty impressive. And this is, and I'm not even talking about PrEP, right? Like, so PrEP is the pre-exposure prophylaxis. But we're talking about actual HIV treatment where... If the, uh, a person with HIV has has found the right combination, the the catchphrase is U equals U, which is undetectable equals untransmissible. Yeah. So you can get to a point where it's not that you can we've cured HIV, but the medications that are available now reduce it to a point where the person can almost live a life without necessarily having to let it impact them significantly. Yeah. It's still going to be a part of their life. They still have to think about it and remember to take the medication and get regular checkups. And it's still going to be on their minds. So psychologically, it's still going to be problematic. But compared to what It's a Sin made it sound like, it just felt that It's a Sin really overblew everything without tempering it by saying, by the way, guys, it's not like this anymore. But how would you do that? I don't know. I like. I, I think that would be tricky. You'd have to do a massive flash forward. Um, yeah. And but even but even then, pretty much every spoiler alert, every character that gets HIV in this series dies. Um, yeah. So so it would be a little bit strange if they just kind of put in a flash forward that maybe having Jill, you know, go, we won and we we've successful. And by the way, we're now in twenty two thousands and we've got good treatment. Like it just it would look a little bit um, tacked on, and it would be tacked on. Right? Yeah. But I think, again, the issue is not just that they didn't balance it out. It's that they went too far with the extremeness of the fear and didn't then wind it back. Instead of approaching it in any sort of, with any sort of nuance, he just went really hard on the hysteria, forgetting that you actually, you might have viewers who don't understand HIV, right? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, look, whether or not um, heterosexual people watched it, I don't know, right? Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Maybe they just liked Russell T Davies and thought, oh, this might be interesting, not realising there was a show about gay people and HIV. Plus one straight woman. But 
you know, for gay people who are like, oh, I want to see myself on television, and this is the thing they see, and if they've never, you know, been part of the community, if they've never had discussions about HIV, or if every discussion they've had about HIV has been about panic and fear and, yeah. like, this show does not do anything to temper those fears. It, it magnifies it, and that's what concerns But I guess me. the problem is, does it have to? I think it does. I think it, like, it's not just that it's spreading misinformation, per se. I think it, to some degree, accurately reflects the the feeling and the sentiment at the time. Yeah. Right? It's, you know, so if you think of it as, like, a, um, like a historical think piece, then okay. You know, like, there are plenty of movies about Hitler, right? We don't need to balance out the fact that Hitler's dead and that yeah. Nazis are mostly... Mostly gone. Um, I was just thinking, like, would you watch a movie about the bubonic plague and then want some of the end to say, the bubonic plague is now quite treatable? No, but the thing is that the bubonic plague came to an end. World War II came to an end. Yeah. HIV still happens now, right? Okay. It is a legitimate concern for people in the gay community. I mean, it should be a legitimate concern for anyone who's sexually active, but yeah. for the gay community, it is still a legitimate concern. And if you are new to the community, or if you live in an area that is ill-informed, where they're abstinence-only, or they don't yeah. give you appropriate sex education, or actually, you know, the Australian sex education system is largely about not getting pregnant. A gay person doesn't need to know that. They need to know how no- how to not get HIV, or yeah. chlamydia, or gonorrhea, or any number of STIs, right? Mm. That's my problem with it, is that it's still around. The bubonic plague is gone. Hitler is gone, right? Will we ever have a Hitler again? God willing, no, mm. right? With the way that governments and things, systems are in place. I mean, I can't imagine how that would happen, but who the hell knows, right? Yeah. But HIV is a daily concern for people who are who are sexually active and who aren't in a monogamous relationship. Mm. Or even then, you know, monogamy is, a, a, you know, a trust thing. So, <laughs> so if, if you're in a committed relationship... What are you trying like, to tell me? <laughs> nothing. No, no, no. But, but you get what I mean, right? I do get what you mean. Like, I, I can understand your point of view. I'm not sure I agree. Because I feel like historical, like, fiction or just, his, like, things about our history can have a value in educating us about our history without having to, at the end, have a disclaimer. Like, I know, like, the Nazis don't exist anymore, but war does. Yes, war exists, but it's not on quite the scale that World War One or Two were. We're not having multiple nations team up to try mm. and, you know, dominate the neighbouring countries. Yeah. A lot of it is internal conflict. Yeah. And the thing is, is that we learn lessons from the war. We don't mean not necessarily stop war. <laughs> like, but in schools, we learn about history and we learn about these things. I don't know if people are taught about the history of HIV. No, I don't think they would be, which is kind of why I think that maybe there is some value in some way to the series. I wish the series was better. Yeah. But I think, like, so a comment I saw, and I'm not going to look up who made the comment because it's a random person on the internet. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Basically, he commented under a review of It's a Sin, and he said, like, I'm a 50-year-old gay man, and, like, I feel like a lot of this has been erased... But seeing people mourn for the character of Colin and reminding these people that these Colins existed. Like, Colin wasn't a real person, but there was Colins mm. out there. And it said he, fa- he found comfort from the fact that people who hadn't lived through the HIV crisis in the 80s got an insight into 
what it was like, even if they were mourning a fictional character. Yeah, I can see And the that. thing is, I think with Colin, what, what you discover about Colin at the end of the third episode is that he basically only had one sexual partner. It was probably quite a toxic, abusive relationship. He just was a gay man who had, you know, gone away from his small town and suddenly someone was offering him gay sex. And even though it wasn't a good relationship or anything, or even probably be described as a relationship, he was just happy to be there. And this was before people were even hearing about HIV. Like, this person must have been infected quite early on before either of them would know what HIV was. So looking at that, I was like, that could have been me. Like, some of the other people, I was like, okay, that was... I was never... Well, having casual sex. Having casual sex. Yeah, like, I was never going around having casual sex the way a lot of the characters do. But when it came to Colin, I kind of was like, okay, I could have ended up in that situation. Mm. Like, with no one to talk to, no mentors, and I just wanted someone to want me. Mm. And then I could have got AIDS and died. So I think that that story, which is kind of why I said, watch the first three episodes. (laughs) Yeah. That story, I think, had meaning. Whereas the sort of later part with Richie going through having HIV, I feel like that was more of a generic story. Like, I feel like that's a story I've seen a lot. Which is what? Kind of like just... Guy, gay guy, sleeps around, catches HIV, dies, tension between family and found family. Yeah. Like, that felt really, um... Cliché. Cliché. Like, it felt like holding the man, and that's the one that comes to mind. But a lot of of the AIDS movies, and maybe more the American AIDS movies. Mm. Whereas, I felt like Colin's story, and maybe also because he's HIV... Uh, presented in a way I haven't really seen depicted, even though I know it is a way that can be, which is the dementia element. Mm. Like I don't think I don't think before Colin I've ever seen a depiction of someone with HIV becoming, you know, demented. Yeah, but but again, I think that reflects the series attempting to cover all its bases. So yes, okay, Colin was unique. I I certainly agree with that, and I I did love Colin. He was my favorite yeah. character. Plus, I love a Welsh accent, so that kind of helped. But yeah, I think the thing is the series tried to show everyone's perspective, a little yeah. bit of everything. But I'm gonna say like with that storyline, like overall, I felt like most of the characters were quite shallow, mm. and a lot of the reviews I've seen basically say that they only liked a couple of characters. Everyone liked Colin, <laughs> <laughs> um, and everyone was moved. I feel like that storyline kind of was almost like a historical artifact. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like that was something that Russell T Davies saw and told. Mm. And for someone who, you know, wasn't even born at the start of this series when it's set, um, as it was still quite young by the end of the series, I feel like that is a part of the gay history that I appreciated being told. Yeah. 
I get that. And look, that's, that's again part of this larger picture of uh, depicting queer relationships in a way that is not stereotypical. You know, even in, in, in modern media that's set in the current time. Mm. No, rather than uh, every gay man being the gay best friend to a, to a woman or every um, lesbian character uh, wearing flannel and, and enjoying, like, w- lumberjacking or whatever. Like, it's it's showing the, the diversity within our community and yeah. that... Um, you know, we are, we all are individuals. Um, we are not just our sexuality. So I, I, I agree with that, that Colin yeah. did that. And I think I've also talked on a podcast previously about, like, when I feel like I don't fit in because I, like, I was doing that survey and there wasn't a choice to say I've only had one sexual partner. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think that, like, that's why I kind of related a lot with Colin because, I yeah, I could see myself in that situation. Whereas Richie, you actually, like you, I guess chronologically see the point where he basically catches HIV and it is because he chose not to have safe sex when he knew better. Mm. Like I'm not blaming him, Mm. but I think that it was a bit more of the stereotypical thing. And in a way it was easier for me to other him as someone. I was like, well, that's not, what I'm like. Yeah. I wouldn't be like that. So therefore I like what happened to him was a tragic thing that happened over there. Whereas I think with Colin, I felt much more personally, like that could have been me. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about Jill. Okay. So I found Jill to be a bit of a straight savior in the way that sometimes like, I think the help was famous for having white savior. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Researching afterwards that she was a real person and the only one of the main cast who was based entirely on a main person. For a bit of trivia, Richie was based on, I guess, two people and then a bit of random stuff thrown in. So the first two episodes is kind of based on Russell T Davies. Towards the end, he's based on Dursley McLinden, Linden, who appeared on Doctor Who. So in the show, Richie appears in a fictional Doctor Who episode. Um, which is based on this uh, Dursley actually appearing in a Doctor Who episode. And Dursley then died of AIDS in 1995. So Russell T Davies has not died of AIDS, as Mm. we can presume. Yes. So he based sort of the coming to London, the excitement, and even the conspiracy theory stuff early on on himself. Mm. But the story he sort of told at the end, because it wasn't his story of getting HIV, was of Dursley. Okay. But yes, to go back to Jill, I I like trivia sometimes. (laughs) No, no, that's cool. I'm I'm into it. Uh, To go back to Jill, so I did feel like she was a bit of a straight saviour. So for the first couple of episodes, she was the one who was most worried about AIDS. Like, none of the guys cared. And basically, in the second episode, she, she helps a guy... With AIDS. Yeah, she takes on, like, a carer role for someone with yeah. AIDS by bringing him food and doing his grocery shopping because he's too embarrassed and, and fearful of going out and yeah. giving people AIDS by just being around them, again, as part of the misinformation. Yeah. But then she's also the one who, again, is part of the panic. She's going to his house, she's scrubbing her, her hands really clean, she's wearing, like, rubber gloves. Yeah, which... Like, I reminded me a bit of COVID, like, those videos where people would come back from the shops and, like, just scrub themselves down mm. because they're afraid of COVID. So the fact, yeah, the fact that she 
like it was probably historically accurate mm. that they there was so little information the government probably didn't care because it was killing as sometimes you said the right people mm-hmm. so she had no idea she yeah. was she was making it up as she went along uh the fact that she is based on a real person maybe this was the journey like so she looked after a guy with HIV till his parents came in, took him away and basically shut him away somewhere. Um, and then in the next episode, I think she's working at like a call set, support call center. Yeah. And then, as I said, she gets involved. So she finds a lawyer to, you know, help, um, Colin get, Colin get out of a locked ward mm. and get medical attention, like proper, I guess, Healthcare. respectful yeah. <laughs> medical attention. And then, you know, she goes through, basically, she, once Richie reveals that he has HIV and he starts deteriorating, she basically becomes his at-home nurse. Mm. And then she starts, sort of, her, the end of her story is that she starts visiting strangers on the HIV ward after Richie dies. Yeah, but let's let's take a back step and go back to the whole um, straight saviour thing. So, just as Richie dies, she has a, a face-off with his mother, who had basically excluded Jill from yeah. having contact with Richie um, as he was dying. So, again, similar, kind of mirroring the storyline of some earlier characters where he was taken home away from his found family, like to the Isle of Wight, so yeah. well away from London, um, and, and shut out. Like, she wasn't allowed to have any contact with him, despite her best attempts. And she gives this monologue which you just kind of have to watch to to know how completely bizarre it is, right? Where she she basically lays all the guilt of every, um, you know, gay man and gay person in London on this one mother and why well, she brought this, shame. This mother, so Richie's mother gets monologued out twice in, in that episode. Yeah. <laughs> Once by a woman who doesn't even know her. Yeah. <laughs> who basically monologues about the fact that she's a terrible mother because she didn't realise Richie was gay. Yeah. And the second time, because, yeah, she she isolated, isolated him and made him ashamed of himself and gave him low self-esteem. And it was it was so far-reaching and broad. And... Yeah, so Jill basically said that Richie had caught HIV and then passed on HIV because his mother. Yeah. Which is a big call. Yes. <laughs> like, like, okay, I can see where the lines were drawn, like how the dots were connected between the points. I don't agree with what she said necessarily. I don't think it should have been said the way it did. But it, it inherently reflects two things. One, again, the series was shallow as hell and mm-hmm. really wanted to make some big grand points but gave up on character development in order to do it. And secondly, it put Jill in this position of being this um, the, the, the voice of the people, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem was that's all she was. She wasn't a character. She was a device, which is weird because she's based on a real person, right? Yeah. So essentially what Russell T. Davis has done is whittled down her storyline to the things he thought were important, but in the process made her an avatar. Mm-hmm. And and so this speech, while as an avatar, you're like, okay, I can see why you made that speech. As a character, you're like, this would never happen. Like, no one would give this speech, and it's weird. And, and she she got to walk away feeling all, all uh, mighty and triumphant. And you're like, no, I think you just made an already grieving mother feel even worse about herself. And mm. I'm not saying the mother was completely blameless, but... 
and also I think the mother was weirdly written too because it was like she was lovely and kind for like four out of five episodes and the last episode they flipped her to be this really mean person but it was just it was just odd and and I don't know like I, I think that it was an overreach yeah I think after I did my research I was like hmm did he make the avatar of his best friend yell at the avatar of his mother well, yeah <laughs> I kind of wonder I kind of wonder because the the mother character, who's played by Keely Hawes, who is in everything and is usually amazing in everything, she um it, it it was odd because for the first four episodes she was this really loving, attentive mother who wanted to be involved in her son's life. Whereas the dad is depicted as this angry, homophobic, um you know, drunken person. And in the last episode, they decide to flip them. The dad becomes this really sad, like empathetic person, and the mum becomes really rigid and vicious. And you're like. Why? Like, what? Well, like, like, if if I was gonna try to devil's advocate, I'd say that maybe people grieve differently. Mm. Like, maybe it was just a dra- dramatic version of Beverly Goldberg going, "I failed as a mother." <laughs> <laughs> or maybe maybe Keely Hawes is just the better actor out of the pair of them, and they just wanted to give her some more meat for her character. I don't know. Um, but, but the point but surely is, you'd then just write her that way for the entire series. You'd think so, wouldn't you? You wouldn't just realise who you cast four episodes into it. <laughs> but yeah, so, so Jill, you know, there's, I, I have nothing against the actress. I think the actress did well. Mm-hmm. I think Jill was a likeable person, but she was kind of like a smiley face emoji. Like she was just, she was, she was flat and 2D and... yeah. You know, and like I also I think if I was Jill's friend I'd be like I think you just to be too caught up in other people's lives. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. Have you thought about maybe having your own life? <laughs> like it's almost like she is the straight best friend. Like yeah. all those movies where they have nothing going on. It's it's gay payback. Yeah, <laughs> just they needed to put in a straight friend trope to make up for all this. Now one of the other things I did want to talk about, which kind of isn't so much about the show itself is the fact that every gay character was played by a gay actor mm, which is great which is great um and one of the characters who has hiv and actually has um what, what do you call that the kaposi sarcoma yeah um actually does have hiv in real life right um but obviously controlled by drugs indeed and u equals u, u equals u and all that stuff mm-hmm. um so yeah so they cut so i guess we're talked in the past about casting gay actors to play gay characters Mm. um how did you feel that that went like obviously a few of them are just really brilliant actors anyway (laughs) yes i think it went well um i I didn't know that and it didn't really affect my viewing i guess but i'm 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 happy to know that that is certainly the case Mm -hmm. uh and i think nowadays that is increasingly getting is increasingly increasingly happening um, I mean, look, obviously, you know, when you have mega producers like Russell T Davies and Ryan Murphy and Greg Berlanti, who are uh, all gay men themselves, you know, heading up these uh, empires of TV shows, it's great that they are working hard for queer representation and making sure that, you know, um, people who are of that sexuality or gender are represented appropriately, you know, because yeah. the actors are out there. They, they just need to be given the chance. Yes. Hmm. So, no, I think, I think that's good. And look, I... I'm, I hope that stays the norm. I hope that this is, this is just how so it is. So you don't want to see Scarlett Johansson play a trans? Yeah, that's right. Oh, I, can't, I can't remember that article. Um, but yes, I, I think that 
I'm hoping that we'll we'll stop marveling at this and we'll just be like, oh yeah, yeah. that's just how it always is, right? Which I think Sensate was probably the first one. Actually, I don't know if the gay characters were gay, but the trans character was trans. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, you're right. I don't know about that. Um, so before Sensate, I think Arrow might have done it actually. So Greg oh, Berlanti okay. heads up the um, the DC, the sort of the, the Arrowverse on mm. on the CW in America. Um, so that's uh, Arrow, the Flash, Supergirl, that sort of thing. Mm. And I'm pretty sure. In one of the later seasons of Arrow, there was a gay superhero who was played by a gay actor. Okay. Mm. But the lesbian characters weren't played by lesbians. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, until Batwoman. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, look, it was still a later progression, but yeah. it, did, it did happen. But I think the problem is, you know, uh, the Arrowverse on the CW, while it might have some um, uh, cult fandom, is the CW is not a very highly watched network. Yeah. Whereas Disney is not doing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, though, maybe in Eternals, was he actually gay? I have no idea. Because the deaf character was deaf. I know that. Yeah. 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 I, I'm not sure. Maybe. Mm. Mm. Whereas in Jungle Cruise, I think it was. Yeah, Jack yeah, Whitehall yeah. plays a, char- a gay character. Who, well, no. Actually, Jack Whitehall plays a character who acts gay. Oh, okay. But I don't think they ever explicitly say one way or the other whether he's gay. I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> oh, you, sh- you should be angry. <laughs> like, that's, well, that's, I remember, that's, that's I remember double... being announced that he was going to be gay. Like, aren't we good? He's going to be gay. Yeah, that's, so, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that's not the case, but, okay. yeah. So it could just be British. Yes, well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so as I said at the start, if you've listened this far, you've been pretty spoiled, but, <laughs> yeah. um, even if you've been spoiled, I, and if, you know, you have nothing else to do, first three episodes, mm. get to see Colin's story, I think it is worth seeing. And look, if you want to educate yourself about uh, HIV and uh, modern day and what treatments are out there, both preventative and for treatment, um, I highly recommend Googling Thorn Harbour Health. They are um, the, they formerly known as the Victorian HIV uh, Council. Mm-hmm. And so so how much area do they cover, uh, like geographically? Oh, look, no, they only, geographically, oh no, they're, they're a statewide service. Um, yeah, so they but it's Victoria only. But yeah. their website has a lot of really good information, and they do mm-hmm. videos on YouTube which are really informative. Um, but no, they're a really good resource to understand HIV better. Okay, but if you need help, you obviously have to look at your own local area if you're not Victoria. Yeah, look, um, every every major hospital in Victoria, and in, in fact Australia, should have an infectious diseases department with this mm-hmm. uh, HIV clinic built within it. Um, and there are options. There are so yeah. many options. It, and PrEP actually is can be prescribed by a GP. Obviously, you need a, a GP who knows what they're doing, mm-hmm. but there really is only one PrEP preparation anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, go see your local medical professional and, and know your options and understand HIV and don't give in to the hysteria. There, yes. are, there are still things you need to do to be cautious um, to, to minimize your chance of contracting it, um, but it's doable. It's achievable. Um, and you can have, uh, you know, you can still have casual sex and enjoy yourself and live the life that you want so long as you just, um, you know, keep a few things in mind. Yeah. And I think there is hope for HIV to be eradicated if everyone who has HIV gets treatment. Mm, Indeed. So we can hope for that. (laughs) Yep. And on that positive note, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next time.